Heavenly Father, you know what some of us are struggling with. You know, some of us are longing for our relationships to be fixed. We'll look at our husbands, we'll look at our wives, we'll look at our kids, we'll look at our marriages, we'll look at our girlfriend, our boyfriend, we'll look at our brokenness and we just say, God, maybe today is the last day and we don't know where we're going to go and we ask God for your spirit to come in and to fix it, to transform it because we know that you can, you can turn anything around. You can heal it. You can bring us back to a place. You can bring us to a new place. So God, today as we wrestle on this passage, as we look at your word again, we ask God that you give us the courage to submit to you, to hand our will over to you. May your will be done in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please be seated. So I see uh, quite a few new faces today, and, uh, and you may have turned up a little bit later, uh, and so if you did, I just want to let you know uh, that if you want to copy the manuscript, then just raise your hand and Peter or Patty will be uh, handing out the copy of the manuscripts so that you can follow along. I was advised this week by my good friend Jeanette, who uh, reminded me that uh, I may speed up a little bit when I'm speaking. Um, I'm not sure she's correct. No, she is. <laughs> she's absolutely correct. I do have a tendency to speak a little bit quickly, um, and it's because I'm excited about the text. Uh, yes, that's one excuse that I kind of like to stick to, and so I can stick to that one. It's great. It's a fantastic excuse, and I love it. But I do. I enjoy the passage. It's great every single time, and so I have this kind of thing that I do speed up. And so if you want to follow along, grab a copy of the manuscript. I tend to stick to the manuscript um, about maybe about, hmm, no, I don't. And so um, follow along wherever you can. If you feel like you're kind of lost in your manuscript, then just kind of like turn up a few pages and try and find us where we are inside there. We are in the middle of this Love Glue series, and uh, we're in week two, and so uh, you probably should try and catch up and join us and watch last week and catch up. And next week, Pastor Danny Hernandez is going to be here, and he'll be speak speaking for us and continues the Love Glue series for us and talking about how we treat others is really important because we like to be treated in a particular way, and so that's important to remember that. And so I encourage you to come and hear Danny as he does that. But uh, you may recall at the beginning of the year, we had a series called Grounded in Love in January. And we were looking at that book of Ephesians. It was all across the wall here. Johnny Barton had created this whole big epic piece that we'll do again later on in the summer. And, uh, and then I got to chapter five of Ephesians and kind of like hopped over that, skedaddled, skipped it. And uh, all of chapter five pretty much and a little bit of chapter six. And it's because there are four very provocative uh, ideas inside that chapter. And I said to you that uh, this is what it says there. Basically, it says, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands are the head. I'll just stay there for a moment. Uh, yeah, okay, children obey your parents, and slaves obey your masters. Now, if you were playing a game of baseball, and those were the four bases, right? So the first base is wives submit to your husbands, and second base is husbands are the head, and children obey your parents, third base, and slaves obey uh, your masters there. I'm inclined that if you were playing this game, you would probably get stuck at first base, Right? Wise? No? No? How many of you would get stuck at first base? You're like, no, I'm going to fly past that. That'd be easy. Oh. You are a perplexed community today. 
I can see this is going to be controversial. I hope to have you leave here in, with your marriages intact, your relationships intact, and with respect for your parents as well. But I, I, I'm probably pretty sure that as you would go around this round, you would probably look across to third base where it says children obey parents and say to yourself, that sounds pretty good. The difficulty is that when it comes to the Bible, uh, there are things inside the Bible that sometimes seem difficult and sometimes seem appropriate. And you may want to say to yourselves, well, can't we just look at the wife submit section and say, ignore? Can't we look at the husbands of the head and ignore? Get to the children, obey your parents, except slaves obey your masters, ignore. I mean, that would be the easiest way to approach the text, right? And we would all love to do that. Many of us would like to do that. And then we try with this exercise of hermeneutics, which is the, the exercise of interpretation, the principles of interpretation. And we start to look at allusions and echoes and references inside the text. And we look at the Greek and the Hebrew and Aramaic and say, could there be something inside the text that maybe says that this is literal or figurative or metaphorical or something like this? And you look at the text, you read it, and you realize, nope, no metaphors. No, that's... Pretty straightforward. So you're kind of like stuck now. You're like, what do we do with this? We, we, we're kind of stuck. So I actually, I've come up with some options for you. Because you guys, I know, in America, we like multiple choice. And so um, I've created a multiple choice test for you. And uh, we have some volunteers. So let's come up here and let's start with uh, just A first. Let's come up with A. Let's come up with A and let's have these kids come up here. Renee's going to come up here and stand up here. And she is... Actually, let's have Renee, let's have, uh, yeah, let's have the three kids come up first of all. Edward, yeah, Ben, come up and stand up here. And let's uh, have them, so let's go here, A and B. Oh, yeah. Hey, Edward, why don't you come on this side over here? This side over here. Edward, Edward can stay over here. Renee, you come over here, this side here, because you're A, right? And Edward, you come over here. And uh, so, and you don't show yours just yet. And let's go, you're, are you B or are you A? B, let's come over this side here. You A, that's it. I'm trying to get the alphabet in order. This is very complex for me. Um, and I did go to school to train for this one. All right, let's go. So option one, when you're looking at this text, and I know you heard it read by Robin, and you've read it this well this week, you've, you've listened to us discuss this text. Option number A, uh, this is the reaction as to how you can approach this text. This is how you would think about Paul. Let's see what it is. That Paul is high. form of uh, weed provided in the Greek-Roman era, and uh, that he was just really high, and that's what he was, I was like, well, I don't know what I was writing at this point, and so that's what happened, it's just like, the text is just like, he was just, yeah, I don't know, and then he just kind of came back, children's obey, and then kind of like, he was just not really connected, that's option A, all right, let's go to option B, is that Paul is out of touch. You know, because clearly he had no sense about this. He was not married after all. He was not a parent. He was not a slave. He's not a very sensitive person. And so you have to take everything he does with a little pinch of salt, right? And then option C, Edward, ready? Let's show them. Hard truth. Oh. Hard truth. He meant every single word, and we've just misunderstood what he's saying. Now, if you were taking a multiple choice exam, would it be A or B or C? How many of you think it's A? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boulderites, right? How many of you think it's, it's B? That he's just a little bit out of touch? 
doesn't really know. He's in a self. He's just not, he's not a 90s man. doesn't cry. All right, all right, all right. And then how many of you think it's just the hard truth to get over it? And how many of you just don't like boating? <laughs> yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, well, it's difficult. It's difficult, isn't it? Um, but, you know, and Paul, Paul understands this. This hard truth option that Edward has here is, is very, very difficult. And in fact, actually, Paul says this. He says sometimes, he gave this counsel to 2 Timothy. He said, listen... 2 Timothy chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not itching ears and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off to myths and they will drop things because they're out of touch. And then the issue is really is that they need to accept the hard truth and they don't want the hard truth. What they want are preachers going to come along and say to them, hey, he was just high and he was out of touch. But the hard truth that's really unacceptable to them. So really it's option C, and that's where it stands. But maybe, maybe there could be an option D. Could there be an option D? I know Arthur. You, you want to come up here, Arthur? You want to come and help Edward? You can come and help Edward. It's good. Yeah, yeah, come King Arthur usually helps people with around nights. Yeah, come on up. And then uh, you can help him. And then let's have William come up here. Let's have a, an option D. There could be an option D because I have been leading you, obviously. Multiple choice does do that sometimes. Sometimes, not always. Could there be this one? It's a visionary passage. You're like, no. Yes. This was a visionary passage. It was uncomfortable 2,000 years ago. It's still uncomfortable today because Paul has something really visionary to tell us that we're thinking to yourselves, I don't know if I really like this. But the truth is that we don't really like that at all. We're kind of really stuck much more with this one here where we just say it's just a hard truth. And when we stick to hard truth, we kind of stick to the idea that Paul is just basically a male chauvinistic and you can fill that word in after that. Uh, we kind of stick with this one, hard truth, and we just say he's a patriarchal leader, and so that's what it is. We kind of say he's an absolute, and you can fill that word in as well, right here, but the hard truth, because we don't like the visionary. We kind of say that he's just a child of his era, so we kind of like this one here. But the visionary one, that's very difficult. I even went online, because this is one of the most popular approaches to this passage. I went online, and I looked up what other tribes and other churches kind of interpret about this passage, and this is the number one approach to this passage. And this is what happens. They quote this passage, and then they say things like this. I'm going to read from different websites, and here they say, throughout the Old Testament, women were active in, relig- women were active in religious life of Israel, but generally were not leaders. Women like Deborah, Judges 4, were clearly the exception, not the rule. There was no woman with an ongoing prophetic ministry. No woman was a priest. No queen ever ruled Israel. No woman wrote an Old Testament or New Testament book. Isaiah 3 indicates that God allowed women to rule only as judgment. And then it gets better. It says their home and their children are to be their priority in contrast to the world's emphasis today on careers and full-time jobs for women outside the home. There you go. Sermon is done. Okay, we could, uh, let's have the worship team now come, come forward and uh, we can be done. Because this is where everybody would like us to land. That's what most people would like us to land. If, if I ended the sermon right now, out of a 10, out of 10, how many of you would be like, oh, I'm on the 10 side? Let's try this. Let me see where you guys really feel. Do you feel like that's what the place is? You don't want to vote because you're worried about your marriage. Right? Do I, do I say the truth? Can I arrive home and be alive? This is what you're thinking in your head. Oh, 
It's difficult, isn't it? Because this is actually what we do and we practice this stuff and we become oppressive because this is the one. But actually, visionary, visionary is where it's at. Not the high one, not the out of touch one, not the hard truth one, but the visionary one. All right, you guys can go have a seat. Thank you so much for helping us out. That was fantastic. We're going to try and uh, approach this visionary one. Yes. So, Arthur, you can stay up here. That's great. I like it. I like it. This is good. And Arthur's actually got option E. <laughs> He's like, but the stage is so good. Arthur's going to be a great preacher one day. He will be. He will. It'll be great. <laughs> when I'm sitting down with couples and helping them to prepare for marriage or sitting down with them if they've been married for a while, um, you know, it's not that I have the answers or anything like this because that would be insane to imagine that. It's that the truth is, is this, is that what I really hope for couples more than anything is that they learn that they can actually ask each other the questions. More than anything that you realize is that we can actually communicate to each other. What it is, at times, we don't know what to say to each other. We don't know how to say it to each other. We don't know when to say it. We don't know that we have these ideas, these thoughts that we've picked up and we've got them inside us. And the problem is that sometimes we enter into marriage and we haven't actually even really articulated some of these, so we haven't thought about it. It's just important to do that. This is the same principle when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. It's, it's the same thing that we are doing all the time. It's what I believe I'm called to do when it comes to Jesus, how to listen to Jesus, how to respond to Jesus, and how to connect with Jesus. That's, that's all it comes down to, because when we do, we can, we can actually live in this space with Jesus Christ. So, what if, what if, when it comes to this text here, the visionary approach, option D, we just have to listen to this text and read this text in a different way, so that it will not only affect our marriages, but it will affect our relationship with Jesus in a different way. I, uh, I know that in the Bible there are lots of really hard texts, right? Everybody knows that there are difficult texts. There are weird passages that just pop up all the time. So the first thing you do when you read a weird passage is you just have to ask yourself something about the context. Let me give you just a few classic examples inside the Bible. Deuteronomy 25, 11, 12 says, don't grab the genitals in a fight, right? Very practical. Um, and, uh, and then you, 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 know, you, you, you have to read the context to find out what that's about. Deuteronomy 23, 1, don't attend church if you're missing your genitals. I mean, just... Read the context, and you're trying to understand that. Luke chapter 3, verse 11. Anything you own, clothes, shirt, give it to somebody who hasn't, hasn't got it. Everything you have, share it all the time. A little bit complex sometimes. Read the context. Leviticus 19, 27. No corners on your head when you're cutting your hair. Hmm. Read the context inside here. Leviticus 19, 19. Don't mix any certain materials when you're making clothing items. So no polyester. I mean, whatever. You know, just work out what it is that's supposed to come together. There are these random texts that appear in the Bible, and you're reading them, and you're thinking to yourself, why do they exist? What is it? So I always ask myself about the author. I ask myself about the context. I ask myself about the intent behind it. What is he trying to draw us to? If you don't know some of this stuff, you should probably attend one of our connect groups and maybe even go to the journey. Mm -hmm. Subtle plug, you're welcome, no charge. Uh, maybe you should, you know me some lunch at Fellowship Lunch today, and that'd be great, pay off. But go to the journey and learn how to study a book of the Bible so you can understand what is the author's intent, what the message is inside there. But as you're doing this, I do the same with Paul. And I say to myself, Paul must have something inside here. He must have something, because these are pretty inflammatory words, wives, submit to your husbands. That's not really a glue stick, is it? 
I mean, it feels more like cement. <laughs> feels more like a lead weight. And I appreciate, by the way, all the texts that I received, all the emails I received this week, uh, all the suggestions I had, the books that I had uh, received as well uh, about how to approach this text. Some were really weird, and some were really great. And some of you need to go get some help. Becky raised some really good points in the, in the podcast. Usually she doesn't raise any good points, um, but um, that was just a joke. You're like, you're like, oh, no, I was kidding. I want to go home too. <laughs> so, she raised some really good points in there, and, and it's true. It's because these are difficult things for us to have to admit or to engage. But if we're willing to give Paul a go, if we're willing to move all our 21st century ideologies aside and give Paul a goal, maybe there's a way to look at this, uh, this text in a different way. So let me give you seven, seven little short stories. Number one, Paul gives the most valuable letter, the most valuable letter, story number one, the most valuable letter, Romans, and he gives it to a woman, and he says to this woman, Phoebe, I need you to deliver this letter and send it out. This woman, she's a deaconess. No, she's not. In the Bible, she's actually a deacon. She's head of the church. She delivers this letter of Romans and preaches it in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. Story number two. This is Paul saying, I value women. I think that they're important. They actually can be the leader of the church and they can preach the most valuable letter that I wrote. Story number two. Lydia, the seller of purple cloth. Effectively, your high-end boutique, kind of like Target, but not, uh, was attracted to this movement, right? Uh, you don't see female CEOs of companies selling out their rights and their ideologies to join the movement. She is like, I believe in this. I believe the gospel is asking me to stay as a great businesswoman and yet still be a follower of God. Story number three. When in Corinth, Paul lived with his best friends Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla was a professor of theology. She actually taught Apollos. You read about this in the Bible. God said, listen, I can use and I want women who are talented and capable. Paul's like, this is great. I love them. They're my best friends. And they taught the gospel as well. Story number four. Paul knew his Bible really, really well. And our brother Solomon, who wrote the emirated, mature-rated, sexy book, Song of Solomon, right? He describes so much detail inside this. So I'm going to read one passage to you. So you understand the context of the comments where Paul says things to us. And I just don't want you to get too aroused right now. Just kind of just stay steady and calm. So just calm. All right, ready? All right, here we go. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. And here it comes, your hair is like a flock of goats leaping down the slopes of Gilead. I know, I know, I'm kind of like thinking, let's go get a hotel for the weekend. I'm like, that's amazing. Second honeymoon, bring it on. A hair like the flock of goats. I mean, like, yes, I can smell it. No. <laughs> well, clearly, 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 you're thinking, oh, man, what's that so silly, Solomon? So I went and did some research on this uh, for you, and uh, I went to buyride.com. Uh, just so you know, I've sacrificed. Now, every time I go to Facebook, uh, they're going to be advertising to me mascara, hair products for women all the time. Uh, so just FYI, this is what it did. I did some research, and it said this, that on a, if you take the average, just the average, women can spend in their entire life $200,000 on hair products and beauty products for their entire life. 
flocks of goats. <laughs> kind of sense that maybe it's a valuable thing. Well, it was then. Paul understood that hair was beautiful. I mean, we see it all the time. They do adverts and people are flicking their hair all over the place. Sometimes it's slow motion. And they do this kind of stuff, right? Because it has some kind of value. And Solomon understood it back then. Obviously, we don't think of the flock of goats that way. But we think of different things this way. And Paul understood this. And so he said, listen, it's important. The prostitutes in those days, they were the only ones who didn't have their heads covered. So when you as women preach... Cover your heads, cover your heads, so you can be the preachers in the church, the worship leaders in the church. Don't look like that, but be this kind of person. Paul's like, I value this. Story number five, the story in Genesis, Genesis is often about identity. We miss this from the creation. They were created to lift each other up. The order is not about significance or authority. If it were the case, you know, Adam was created first, Eve was second, therefore she's in, you know, inferior. Well then, who was created before Adam? The animals? Well, then the animals are more important than Adam. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about that. No, no, no. So God creates this entire story to tell us this entire story, to tell us the beauty of the intent of them being equal inside there. It was only after sin that Adam was ruling Eve. It was only after sin that men became the head over Eve. All right? Sin is what's created this dichotomy. Story number six. Paul says to Timothy about men, it's not to live within the stereotypes inside you. When you read that story, he just says, listen, I don't want you to just follow stereotypes. I want the gospel to take us to the future. He's constantly pushing us to the future. Don't follow this way. You can read about the descendants of Seth and Cain. And you read about them, and you get to seven generations all the way down, and you, you arrive at Cain's descendants, you have Lamech, and you arrive at Seth's descendants, and you have Enoch, and Enoch, at the seventh generation, he walks with God. And Cain, at his seventh generation, you have Lamech. And he takes two wives. And he calls his wives Ada and Zillah. And it means tinkling thing and adornment. Women have been denigrated to just a thing that we look at. And Paul says, you're more than just beauty. You're a leader. You're created by God to do amazing things. To preach and to lead and to lead in church. Paul says this, I want you to be more amazing than this. Story number seven. When the woman caught in adultery is brought forth in front of Jesus, she's brought forth by herself. I'm not quite sure how you commit adultery by yourself. Well, apparently so in those days, it was possible. Paul knew this. Paul knew the world. He knew what the world was like. When they brought her forth, she was naked. Look, I don't even want to be naked myself in front of the mirror, let alone naked in front of an entire crowd. Paul knew what it was like to be shamed. When Jesus kneels down and he writes in the dust, all the disciples see him writing in the dust. This is the time I'm thinking, John, you should have looked over and seen what he was writing and then wrote it in the gospel. That would have been helpful to us. But clearly John's like, oh, I can't see, I can't see, but he's writing something significant in the dust and it's affecting everybody inside there. The story, though, does this, that Jesus says he stood and he defended her. And he said, you are not alone. I am with you. No one else would. And Paul understands this. When the world is against you, Paul understands what it's like. Whenever you see Paul talk or preach of a way, he never talks about going back to sin, does he? Any of his letters ever say, hey, here's model A. And I want you to now come back so you can live over here under the shackles of sin. Because I remember those days and they were fun. 
right? He never says, God rescued me on the road to Damascus, but boy, I'd like to go back and be Saul again. So let me pen all of this kind of stuff. So why in the world, why in the world would he ever write a text that says, hey, you know what? I think I, think I see what happened here. There was sin where men were ruling women And that's what actually took place over there, where sin took place and was over here. I actually think what you should do is you should go back to the place where men should rule women. That's what we should do. Paul's not saying, let's go back to the place of sin. Paul's always saying, let's come back to the place where God intended you to be. The problem is that when we read this text, we always read verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands. And we don't read verse 21. Submit to each other. We don't read verse 18, submit in the Holy Spirit. We don't read verse 1, be imitators of God. Walk like Jesus Christ. Give of yourself. We don't do any of this stuff. Man, submit to every single person in your life, your partner, your parents, your friends, your boss, your kids. That is not the narrative to be a great man. Submit to another person. No? To be a great man is you must stand strong against all odds. Be the Spartan, the one person on the front line. That's what we teach. We don't teach submission to anything. So then you wonder why it's so hard for somebody to give their life to Jesus Christ. Because it is a narrative of Satan to be the strong person by yourself against the world. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is the narrative of Satan to be the strong person by yourself against the world. I don't need friends. I don't need community. I don't need love. I am just on my own. In my marriage, I can just tell somebody, I got it covered. I don't have to tell you what anxiety I have, what stress I have. I can handle this all. I will protect it all. I will keep the finances. I will keep the secrets. I just bottle it all up and keep it inside because I'm the man or I'm the woman. I'm the one who's going to do this saying, I need you to learn how to submit. Women, I need you to submit to your partner, to your parents, to your friends, to your boss, to your kids. We don't submit to our kids. We're the rulers of our kids. Imagine if we submitted to our kids, if we loved them at the way that we actually submitted to them. It's not quite that easy. So that's why Paul says, listen, I'm going to tell you about this. I'm going to show you marriage in your job. And he impacts this, and even in this passage, the passage that we don't even like today, he spends three verses on women and nine verses on the men. Because he tells them, I need you to remember all this stuff. Remember when you got together with your wife or your husband? Remember when you were interested in them? You're like, yeah, I remember when I was interested in them. Hopefully you still are. Remember how much you were willing to do for them? Do for them all the time. The words were not hard then. When did it stop? Was it the second day? (laughs) Was it the second week? Was it the second month or the second year or the second child or the second mortgage? When did the pressure become so much that you suddenly thought to yourself, ah, no, I don't have any time. Our problems with our marriages and with our relationships is not our partner's fault. I know, if only, if only they did this, 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 boy, our marriage would be so much better. Our problems in our marriages is us, which is very, very difficult to hear. It takes a long time for people to actually arrive at that point there. It's us. 
We have that problem. I have no problem submitting to Becky as long as she submits to me. That's not what the Bible text says. The Bible text says submit, not on condition that she would submit back. I have no problem giving my life to Becky as long as she gives her life to me first. That's not what the Bible text says. It says, give your life unconditionally. That's what it says. We have to learn the 101, the basic 101 of life with Jesus. And this will translate to the 101 of life with each other. And when you submit and you're willing to give your life to each other, then everything starts to change there. And you start to live inside the spirit. And that's when it actually starts to fall into place inside there and you start to submit to each other. It is not difficult if you learn to submit to Jesus first because it's not about the power, but it's actually about the love that comes from God. And the love comes from God when you are in a relationship with God. When we first got married, when Becky and I first got married, we got into a few arguments, which are mainly her fault. Um, no, no, you can ask her. No, no, it's not. Uh, truth is this, that... Um, my level of maturity was in, in, immaturity was incredibly high, incredibly high. Uh, I thought, I mean, looking back, I'm like, my goodness. I, I, I thought that I was very mature when I got married. But, but now I'm looking back, oh my goodness, the decisions I made, the things we did. I remember there was this thing where I like to walk, walk around our house uh, in my shorts. And when I say my shorts, I'm not talking about my khaki shorts or my gym shorts, they just mean my underwear. And, uh, and Becky would like nudge me and say, hey, you know, don't you think you should put some clothes on? I'm like, oh, I feel fantastic. I'm just like happy walking around in my underwear. It feels great. And she would say, well, you know, you know it's just be a good idea. And I'm like, what do you know? It's great. One day the doorbell rings and um, some surprise visitors turn up and I'm in the living room in my underwear. And... Becky just lets them in, not thinking that I may not got dressed that day. <laughs> so they walk in, <laughs> into the living room, and we did not have a lot of furniture, nor did we have a lot of cushions. Uh, <laughs> we were students, and we had maybe, I think, one cushion this big. And so I grabbed this little cushion and pulled it over towards me, and I grabbed this cushion, and they stayed. A long time. I mean, it's just a long time, just hung out. I'm like, I'm like just sitting down there with like this cushion, and I'm, I'm looking, and I'm fuming inside, like, this woman, Lord, you gave me this woman, Lord. <laughs> I felt like, it was your fault, Lord. She, you gave me her, and I'm like, now, look at this, and, you know. <laughs> Needless to say, needless to say, uh, it took a long time. It took a long time to recover from that, uh, <laughs> because we had not learnt to submit to each other, which is actually what verse 21 says: submit to each other. Before you get to the, pract the practical elements of why submit to your husbands, it says both of you submit to each other. We haven't learnt that. It took a long time to get to that place. There's no subject you can't bring up, there's no issue you can't face, there's no road you can't recover from um, in your marriage. If you learn to actually submit to each other, you can bring up anything you need to. And the strongest marriages, the loved loo that actually does that, are those who actually do learn to submit to each other. They really do. And so I want, I want to encourage you more than anything to learn this about Jesus Christ, that he's calling you, first of all, to learn how to be connected to him. 
Because when you submit to Jesus Christ, when you're connected to him and he is the source, you start to see each other differently. And texts like Ephesians 5, they don't become about 21st century ideologies. It's not saying about oppression or anything like this. It's actually just saying, I love you and I will do whatever it is to lift you up. And I love you and I will do whatever it is to lift you up. Paul's dynamic was ahead of his time. It was ahead of his time. For a man to actually be a servant of his wife at his time, oh my goodness, unheard of, unheard of. For a woman to actually be submitting to a husband when Artemis, the great Greek goddess at that time, was actually a great leader and held all religion in her control. I mean, this was a paradigm-shifting world. Paul said the gospel calls us to a time before sin. And we should have our marriages always moving back to a time before sin. That's what we should do. Our relationship should always be moving back to something that sticks and lasts. And that's the narrative that Paul wants to bring us to. So I'm going to read a text to you. And I'm going to ask you to come forward for this text because we're going to sing a song. Sorry, Courtney. Um, and uh, this text is in, found in John chapter 15. And um, the reason I'm going to ask you to come forward here is because this is what we do. We stand up. And the reason we come forward here is because we gather as a community. Fran is actually going to do a blessing on us at the end. We're going to gather here. We're going to sing this song. It's a song that's actually a word that's going to speak into your life. And as we sing this song, I want you to think about the words that we sing here. But I'm going to read this text to you. And this text is actually a beautiful passage in John chapter 15 where Jesus says, He is the source. When you are connected to Him, you think differently and you act differently. So, are you with me? And Alex, why don't you uh, help us? Thank you. Come forward and join us right here and listen to this text. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither you can unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And whoever abides in me, I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and, they, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to my disciples, as the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love. Then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be you, that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends, for his friends. I see that Arthur's up here. Edward, come and join us. Hey, I know that we're kind of like shy, but come on up, come on up. Let's join the team. Let's huddle up. Um, and i tell you why. Because this is what God says. He uses this metaphor of the vine. He says, listen, to be connected to the vine is to find the source, to submit that we are just a branch and we are connected to the source is where our strength comes from. And Jesus is the one who feeds into us. And when we're fed into that, we can look at each other with different eyes. And that's all that Paul is saying. Then you can submit to each other, you can lay down your lives to each other, and you can heal your marriages. And that's what I'm praying for you today, that you may heal your marriages 
and give yourselves to God. Let's sing the song, shall we?